prayer this morning from 
welcome everyone to our service this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of our service. We want to especially welcome those that, that will be viewing our service online. Thank you for being part of, a, of our service with us this morning. Uh, we have a, a special prayer request that we'd like to honor this morning uh, from Bridget Williams. She said, please have a special prayer for my mother and Briley's great-grandmother, uh, Mary Jane Hornberger. She's beginning the first of ten radiation treatments starting tomorrow, and we need to remember her as she goes through this, through this uh, ordeal. Also, remember that this afternoon at 5 o'clock, we will have our, our Sunday school. There will be an adult class in here, and also will be an adult class out in the parking lot at that time at 5 o'clock. And uh, the uh, communion will be offered for those that need to take advantage of it this afternoon in the little chapel following the uh, Sunday school class. Let's have a prayer. Our Father, we are thankful to you for the many blessings that you bestow upon us. And Father, we know that you are the great physician, and we pray especially today that you will be with Mary Jane Hornberger as she begins the radiation treatments, and we pray that they will be successful. We pray for her family, that you'll remember them in this time of, of sickness. We also pray that you will be with our president and first lady as they are also having to deal with COVID-19. And we pray that you will look down on them and heal them. And also all of those that are struggling now with their health, we pray that you'll be with all of these people. Be with us this morning as we enter into this time of worship. We pray that you'll be with Brother Ken as he brings the lesson to us this morning. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. First song this morning, uh, this morning is He Has Made Me Glad. It's a great Sunday uh, morning, crisp air, beautiful skies. Uh, no better way to start off uh, the Lord's Day. So let's sing the song and uh, be thankful for our Lord. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His throne with You're all 
song is I Stand in Awe. At the, toward the end of their, this song in the refrain, there will be I Stand, and if you are comfortable and willing, I would ask you to stand. praise and all truly is due. Our Father, our Creator, we come before you now on the bended knees of our hearts, thanking you, Father, for this beautiful day and thanking you, Father, for the breath that we breathe, thanking you, Father, for not only our existence but our souls that are eternal, thanking you, Father, for our salvation that comes through Jesus, our Savior and your Son. Thank you for his willingness to die on that cross, that we might be saved, and his willingness to be our Lord, that we might live for you through him. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to worship, and may we do that with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and all of our strength and mind. May we do so in a way that glorifies you and worships you and motivates us to serve you. Father, we are mindful of so many who are on our sick list, who have surgeries upcoming, who are recovering from surgeries, who are dealing with loss and and sickness and sadness. Father, we pray for all of those. We pray for those of our number and those beyond our number about whom only you know. Father, as we continue to strive to be your kingdom, may we do so with focus on what you would have us to do and live every day with you in mind. Thank you, Father, for Brother Ken. Thank you for the elders of this congregation and all the opportunities that you give us each day to not only be your family, your church, your kingdom, but to simply be alive and to give glory to you in everything that we do. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. That song before the lesson will be God of our fathers. If you are using your books, uh, the invitation song will be Whosoever Hear It. 
I believe that number is 904. First, second, fourth verses. Scripture reading this morning will be in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 12. Psalm 33, verse 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The following verse says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Good morning to all of you. It is so great to see you. We had a wonderful meeting in the parking lot earlier. That's why I'm wearing this jacket. It's heavy. It got a little chilly out there. But isn't it great? Just, it's like a, a sparkle in the air. It's just invigorating. So I hope when you woke up this morning, it just, man, it just woke you up, and fired you up, and you're excited about being here this morning and of our time of worship together, and really the prospect of a fabulous day. You know, at 2 o'clock today, we're going to be meeting out there on the highway and standing for an hour. Doesn't that sound great? But you're going to be standing there with some kind of declaration with the hope that what you have to say 
makes a difference in the life of somebody else. And it really is my prayer that we'll do just that. If just one person is impacted by the message that we are proclaiming in a peaceful and orderly fashion, then we will have been a great success. And I'll be honest with you, I I had never heard of the life chain. Now, you may think that's strange because you've been doing it a while, but I'd never heard of it. So Jimmy came in my office, it's only been a few days ago, and she said, uh, hey, what do you think? Uh, We're interested, we've been doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, what? What is that? Never heard of it. So did a little digging, and I thought, wow, what, what a great event. You can stand out there, do a little something for a cause that is important. Saving of a life. We're proclaiming to anybody that will give even the slightest bit of attention that we think human life is important. It's valuable to us. So in light of that event, I want to talk today about what's important to God with especially an emphasis upon what kind of nation we are. I don't answer for the entire nation, and neither do you. But I do answer for me, and I'm a citizen in this nation. And so as the nation goes, it's typically the result of how its citizens go. I always hear about the silent majority. You do too. And yet the very loud and pronounced minority seems to be at the helm these days, directing this ship. I hope that with events like we have today, peaceful, orderly, respectful, that we can start making some noise. And I hope you'll be a part of that. To me, this text is at the root of everything that is both good and bad about this nation. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we go to God, that He'll help me say the right things as He's presented them, and then that all of us will be invigorated by what He has to say. We'll take it a step in the right direction. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this occasion, this privilege that we have to assemble the freedom to be able to worship you. Father, I pray that you will help us today as we examine your words spoken so long ago, that they will be fresh, that they will be alive in us today. Help us, Lord, that as much as we can make it so, that we will be a nation whose God is the Lord, and that we will be that people that you've chosen as an inheritance. Lord, I pray that 
if, if we really are a part of a silent majority, that we will start as much as we can to have our voices heard. And that those things that have taken us in the wrong direction can be overturned. And that we'll be able to truly be the nation that our founders envisioned, dreamed that we would be. But Lord, as much as is in our own hands as individuals, I pray that you will help us to be where we ought to be, and then maybe one by one, joining together can truly be a force for good in our world and especially in our nation today. Help me to communicate that in a thoughtful and meaningful way and be with our hearers that they will embody your truth every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I always thought that this was... I don't know, terrific, outstanding, unique. That we as a nation have some things that are promised. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are guarantees. Now here's the thing, the guarantee of life and liberty. And then the guarantee that you can pursue happiness. Nobody can guarantee that you will be happy. But they can guarantee that nothing stands in the way of your attempt to have that happiness. Now you know if what I'm doing is I'm following the will of God, I'm letting God's word give me the directive and how to live, then I'm going to have life and liberty and happiness. And it's going to be a lasting one. It's going to be the real thing. And nothing can be an affront to it. But if I let something else other than God, if I, let's just say generally, I let the world into my life, I run God out, then life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, they degenerate into poverty and injustice and every kind of ill that you can imagine for a society. I don't have to tell you. Turn the television on. Read your news notifications. Someone's not been following the will of God. Someone has let another force into their life. And instead of enjoying those things that were promised to us, they are propagating the lie. And it's resulting in that degeneration of our society, poverty, injustice, every evil way. God said, and I love this, don't you? In Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You say, hold on there, Ken. Wait, wait a minute. That was directed to Israel. Yeah, Israel was God's people. Sure. Okay, peace. I, I get that. I know that. But the principle that's right here, the principle that teaches us adherence to the Word of God, being a nation who serves the Lord, who has chosen God as being their God, who bend their knee only to the Lord, that nation, he says, is his inheritance. I want to say, I want to say, that ours is a nation whose God is the Lord. But the evidence is kind of to the contrary. Some people would say, we're not a nation whose God is the Lord. We actually are a nation whose God is not the Lord. Even to go so far as to say this is a godless nation. I don't know when I first heard it, but I, I, I hear now constantly people talking about taking the sense of being one nation under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. And I think that, 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 that's impossible. But the farther I go, the more I realize the things I once thought were impossible become very real, even, even probable. And I also hear the charge that maybe we're a godless nation. And again, I think about the application of Scripture. And I don't know what you think when you read the Scriptures. If, if when you read the Bible, you think, oh, this is an ancient document. It has some great principles in here that I can apply. Okay, that's true, but it's more than that. Yes, those principles applied to a particular time, and when you read those principles, you will see them applied to that particular time, but don't miss the fact that they are also timeless, that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That was not just for the audience, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It wasn't just for that particular audience. That is, that is a principle that's always true. So the Word of God is always living. And what it has to say for one generation, that can apply to any generation. And when I say any, I'm speaking today specifically about our own generation. So when I read people like the Apostle Paul, who were looking at their generation and the godlessness that was exhibited there, I ask myself the question, is there an application here? And when I read those texts, I go, wow. The Apostle Paul could have written this to us. Case in point. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Lewdness, uncleanness, greediness. Would that apply today, you think? Or I look at my society and I see it, I see it crumbling and falling apart and, and I realize, now wait, w- weren't there statements in the Scripture about that and its crumbling effect and, and how that God has a will stated about those things? First uh, Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. For the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarn and testified. Wait, you're a brother in Christ? Think about how you act. Am I acting like the world around me? Do I feel comfortable with the way the world behaves? Or is it abhorrent to me? Those things were written before, and they were addressing particular situations, but I find them just so true and so applicable today. We are filled with a world that has just, has just turned its back on God. It truly is a godless time. The nation whose God is not the Lord, that nation is in serious trouble. And then there is the nation whose God is many. You say, Ken, what you just said, while while I get it, there is the evidence that nobody even thinks about God or that they have no God in their heart. Ken, really the fact is, we are not a godless nation. We are a nation filled with all kinds of gods. Think about the way that people worship money and power, fame, sex. I drive up and down the road and I see the billboards. You have to turn your eyes sometimes commercials on television. They say family programming, and yet the commercials would make a normal person blush. Many gods in our world today. Gods who usurp the authority of our God. You say, well, I I don't really understand how you say they would usurp the authority of our God. Just like this morning, I commented about those folks that had come out. Okay, so it's 50 degrees, a little chilly. When you're sitting still in your little seat there in 50 degrees, you you know, start shivering a little bit, I'll be honest. There are a lot of blankets out there. People were able to endure that worship service under those Just very trying circumstances. But how many people do you know that would not have even attempted that? Maybe you, maybe you didn't. I'm sitting out there that cold. 
You kidding me? Uh-uh. I won't attempt that, but come wintertime, on a Saturday, it is at or below freezing in some places. Maybe it had been snowing all week. They will shovel that snow out so that thousands of people can assemble in a stadium, sit in that stadium, listen now, for three hours wrapped up in heavy coats and blankets. They got that thermos of hot chocolate or coffee going and they will endure for their team. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't hardly imagine sitting in a church building with controlled environment for an hour or more. Someone's got their priorities mixed up. I'll do whatever it takes to support my ball team, but, you know, the Lord, the Lord. If the nation is going to serve the God who is our Lord, if we're going to be His inheritance, then there has to be a major dedication here. And we've got to recognize who the true Lord is. Listen, that's always kind of been... Uh, let's just say it was a, a question mark for many generations because Israel, while serving the Lord, uh, well, where is he? You know, where can I go and look at him? We couldn't do that. And so they're like, well, we can't see your God. You must not have a God. Or you have an illegitimate God. There was a response to that in Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. So the Gentiles are like, well, where's your God? Where is He? Where can I go see Him? And you're like, well, you can't go see Him. Our God's in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He is not like your God. Your hands on God, the God that you spend so much time giving attention to. For them, true idolaters, they would have something carved out. Oh, it looked like an individual had a mouth and a nose and eyes and ears and hands and feet. He said, but they don't do anything. They're inanimate objects. And he says, let me, let me just get to the root of this. Just as your idol can't do anything, at your heart you can't do anything either. Your worship is useless, it's meaningless. They can't mutter through their throat and neither can you. I remember Isaiah describing just the, the ridiculous notion of a God other than the true God of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 44, and he describes it this way. He says, well, you know, he's got this guy, he goes out and he cuts down a tree. And he trims all the limbs off of it. So he's got this huge, huge trunk of a tree and he cuts it in half. And then he chooses one end or the other. Chooses one end, he cuts it up into firewood, make a little kindling. He builds him a fire. He goes and he cooks his food on it. He gets up close and says, oh, 
Boy, I'm warmed and filled. I have felt the fire. Man, that's amazing. It feels good. But then with the other end of the tree, the part he didn't cut up for kindling, the part that he could have cut up for kindling, but he chose otherwise, with that part, he carves an image. He makes himself a god. He bows down before it. He worships it. And he says, oh, deliver me, for you are my God. How ridiculous is that? A piece of wood that was going to be on the fire, now you've turned into a God to serve. When I was in Fiji one year, we had gone up to this village where a renowned chief had been. He was a feared cannibal. He was a cannibal primarily because it was a part of his religion. When he ate humans, he was serving his God. And amazingly, all of this time, the God still remained on the edge of that cliff where so many people had perished. You know what the God was? It was a rock about this big. How many human sacrifices had been offered to a rock? You say, that's crazy. That's ludicrous. Who would, do, who would spend three hours watching a football game in intolerable conditions, but then complain about what's going on inside the church building? Who would do that? Who would forsake assembling with the Lord's people on the first day of the week because they worked too hard the week before and needed to sleep in or spent too much time celebrating the night before. It's all relative. The nation whose God is the Lord has chosen to serve that God. I choose to serve the Lord. I choose to do as He beckons me to do. So many people today have chosen otherwise. They've chosen gods. Here's what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, typically what we think is, well, I have to choose. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve this? Yeah, that's right, but... But really more to the point is our divided loyalties. We say, I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord as evidenced by the fact that I come together on the first day of the week. I worship Him one hour a week. Well, what do we do with the rest of our time? Is the rest of our time in service to the Lord? Look at our society and the things they worship. Very interested in immoral behavior that's glorified. Very little love for human life. You say, Ken, wait a minute, there's a lot of love for human life. They're encouraging us to wear these masks and social distance. I'm talking about what we're going to be identifying here today. What about that human life that is in a mother's hands that can be ripped from the womb? I always thought this must be a hyped up statistic and so I did a little research and found absolutely it's true. And to my surprise, it was actually a, I guess, a, a deflated number. The number is 50 million 
abortions since 1973. I've heard that for years. But actually, that was a number up until 2015. The, the farthest they had gone and had records for. Actually, by that time, it was 57 million abortions. By this time, although the trend has been going down, it must be over 60 million deaths at the hand of doctors by means of an abortion. What in the world? So we value human life, do we? As a nation, 50, 60 million people? I wonder, are we a nation whose God is many? Just do whatever you want. Choose your own God. Be your own God. What I want to be what I think you want to be is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There's an interesting thing that happens in the Scriptures. God, God makes it pretty plain. He doesn't want divided loyalties. He wants absolute commitment. As early as the book of Exodus, when the laws started coming forth, people are expected to obey the Lord exclusively. Exodus 34, verse 14, uh, God says, let me, let me make this as plain as I know how. I'm a jealous God. You, you, can't, you can't serve another and serve me. You, you have to make your commitment to me. In this text from Psalm 33, if you look at verses 8 and 9, you'll see that God is making emphasis on the fact He must be feared. I must fear the Lord. And that isn't, oh, I, I'm in the, in the corner of my room cowering in fear. I'm afraid of God. Not that. But there is to be within us an awe-struck feeling in our relationship with God. It's just kind of, you know, we get along, we're friends. I feel the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God. Part of that's because of His holiness. Part of that's because of, of His noted deeds. But however it is derived in us, we have to have an awesome experience in the presence of God. And He says, as a result of that, you're going to do a few things. You know, you're going you're gonna to fear His law. You're going to fear respect what he says that you are to do. I'm not going to argue with that. You're going to fear or respect his people. You're going to fear and respect his name. But more than any of that, maybe all of that rolled together, is just the idea you respect him. You respect him. And when you do, then as a natural result, good things begin to happen. He says, blessed is the nation. The blessedness or the happiness comes as a result of our complying in response to His awesomeness. So, you know, this is going to be a nation that's filled with, with virtue if He is our God. It's going to be filled with intelligence because what He gives is pure truth. It's going to be a nation that's filled with purity and morality. There'll be more of those things. And in response, 
or as a natural result. There'll be less of the things that we would characterize as unjust. There will be less violence. How can I have that? You know, what can I do? Well, again, I'm going to suggest to you that it starts right here. It starts with me. There is a, a text of Scripture that is often associated with this life chain. It's Second Chronicles, or First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. You've probably heard it lots of times. And it's talking about a people that have submitted themselves to God. So if I submit myself to God and I get in trouble, like he's directing this to Solomon. Solomon has a people around him. He's getting ready to become the king. How do I rule these people? God makes it plain to him that if this people turn their backs on him or don't follow his law, he's going to punish them. He's going to send plagues and pestilence. But, he says, if that people during that time, if they'll humble themselves, and if they'll come to me in prayer, if they'll seek my face, if they will turn from their evil ways, then here's what I will do. I will hear them from heaven. I'll forgive them of their sin. And I will heal their land. I just love that. You may apply it to Solomon's time if you want to, but again, what's the principle? God said, you don't serve me. I'm, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to do it. In Romans chapter 1, there is a digression. Actually, it is a four-step digression of a nation who doesn't fear the Lord. And it kind of goes like this. The nation decides, I don't want to serve God anymore. And they turn their backs on God to something else. And then when they do that, here comes the injustice. Here comes the immorality. Here comes the violence. And then finally, God judges that people. Now let me ask you, at what point do you think we want to be? Do we want to be at step four, where God judges us? Clearly we're at three, wouldn't you say? Where does it start? Where does the change begin? It begins right here. 1 Timothy chapter 2 reminds us of the importance of praying for those who are in positions of authority and power so that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. God has a plan that's been put in place from the foundation of the world. But we've got to follow that plan, and we've got to make it our own. If you're a child of God, you signed up for that when you obeyed the gospel. And it is my prayer that you've been diligent in service to the Lord. If you haven't, then God is waiting to hear from you. If you are not a child of God, then today is an opportunity maybe the last opportunity for you to respond to His call for obedience. Today, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're ready to repent, to turn away from the world, to leave those false gods, then having repented of that, turned your back, confessing your faith, today you can be buried in water, have your sins washed away. You'll rise in a new life. Maybe there's something else we just need to pray about. We're here for that too.
We love you. We're your family. We want to be a support. Does anybody need to respond this morning? Now's your opportunity to do it. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing? capabilities are if you have attained that point of where you're secure in your faith you've got it all accomplished we still remember the Lord's death for what he did for us because it's not where we are it's where we were so uh, whatever your need may be use this opportunity to examine your life and uh Make the changes that are needed. That's why we sing this song, to help prepare our minds, to get our minds into an area where we can observe the Lord's Supper and worship Him.
Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, is there anyone who did not receive the emblems, if you would, raise your hand? If you will, bow with me. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time in our worship in which we can remember the sacrifice of your Son. Father, we thank you for your love for us. and We recognize that love and, and understand what you've done for us. And We remember the sacrifice of, of Jesus and as we partake of this bread, help us remember back to the time in which he gave his body for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, again, we come to you remembering the sacrifice of your son this time as we partake of this cup help us remember again what he's done for us and what this uh, represents the blood that he has shed for us that cleanses us from our sin father I pray each of us would uh, remember that sacrifice each of us would examine ourselves as we partake of it in Christ's name amen This concludes the Lord's Supper. Uh, we also have opportunity to give, and we have uh, different ways to do that. You can go online. We also have offering plates at the exit doors. If you would, uh, bow with me as we thank God for all of our blessings. Father, thank you so much for this day, this, this time of worship. Father, we thank you for all the things that you do for us. Father, we're blessed in so many ways, and we give you all the glory. We know that everything that we have comes from you, God. We pray that each of us would give back to you cheerfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We do have a few announcements before we're dismissed. We had 140 in worship this morning. Have a thank you card. It says, I am so thankful to be part of such a loving, caring group of God's people. You have showered me with such encouraging cards, phone calls, visits, food, and have sent up untold prayers on my behalf, which have resulted in my continuing improvement. Please continue to pray for me. God willing, Linda and I will be in the assembly very soon. May God continue to bless all of you. 
J.T. Beer. A reminder that the life chain is today, that's the silent protest of abortion, will be from 2 to 3 o'clock and, and will line 2nd Street. You, you may pick signs up from the TAC. And today at 5 o'clock, Sunday Bible classes will resume. Uh, regular classes for nursery to college age. There will be two adult classes offered in the auditorium. It will be a study of God's Word through Psalms 119, taught by Stephen Hodgen. And the outdoor class will be taught by Brother Ken, Love One Another. And parents, remember the same procedures we're following on Wednesday nights. Remember to do that on Sunday night, uh, tonight with your kids. And that's all the announcements we have. If you'll bow with me, we'll close with a word of prayer. Most beautiful, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the lesson we just heard from Brother Ken. We pray that you will continue to bless his work here and his family. God, we thank you so much that we're getting to come and worship you again. And God, we ask today that you please be with our country. Help us heal. Help us come together. Please be with all of our leaders who are sick. Help them heal up and get better soon. And God, today we remember all of those that have lost their life from abortion. And today we know, God, there's many young girls struggling with the decision that for some reason, God, they're being convinced that their best choice is to kill their child. God, we know that's not so. And we ask you to put Christians in their lives to help convince these people that life is the answer and life is what you expect. Please help us change hearts and change minds. Please forgive us where we failed you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.